You're listening to The CX Show, conversations on customer experience presented by Salesforce. I'm Jeffrey Mack, Director of Marketing at SailMove, and welcome to The CX Show, SailMove's podcast on customer experience. Today, our CEO, Dan McKaylee, speaks to Scott Tannen, co-founder and CEO of Bowen Branch, a privately held U.S.-based e-commerce company that sells luxury betting online. In this episode, we talk to Scott about how the customer is at the core of everything they do at Bowen Branch. We'll also discuss the role that ethical practices play in their product, employee, and customer experiences. Finally, we'll learn more about Bowling Branch's first physical retail store and how they're bringing the online experience to brick and mortar. So without further ado, here's Dan and Scott. Welcome to another episode of the CX Show, conversations on customer experience. In each episode, we speak to a senior business leader whose role relates to customer experience, and we dive deep into specific projects or tactics that they have employed to improve it. Today, our guest is Scott Tannen. Scott is the co-founder and CEO of Bowl & Branch, an industry-leading luxury betting company that focuses a great deal of effort on customer experience and the ethical practices across their entire supply chain. Welcome, Scott. Hi, thanks for having me. It's really a pleasure. Normally, we feature an initiative that our guest is focused on within the realm of customer experience, but today we'll be chatting about Scott's views on CX overall at Bowen Branch. And Scott, I really love your entrepreneurial story. Uh, can you please share with our audience uh, that story? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started with Bowen Branch. Sure. Um, so, my wife and I founded Bowen Branch. Um, just four years ago, as of a couple of days, um, my my background prior to this, um, as as most people in the betting industry, I came from the video game industry uh, beforehand. <laughs> um, but um, I actually did spend the about five years before I started Bowling Branch in in gaming, and prior to that, um, was uh, was in the marketing um, world, uh, working for Nabisco slash Kraft Foods as well as Wrigley. So I had the the amazing opportunity to work on brands like Lifesavers and Planners Nuts and Oreo cookies and, and everything in between. Um, I started a casual gaming company in 2007 and and we sold that company, um, to Publishers Clearinghouse in 2010, um, and stayed on for a few years, uh, prior to, um, a very strange happenstance of my wife and I redoing our master bedroom and her coming home having tremendous difficulty in in trying to understand a very confusing marketplace of of betting. Um, it's confusing, but the reality is not many people spend much time to think about it. Um, being the the uh, the the adventuring husband that I am, I said, "Don't worry, honey, I got this." Um, and <laughs> Five minutes of what I expected to be on the internet, Googling what makes the best sheets, turned into several hours and ended up being almost 18 months of my life, uh, really falling into one of the deepest rabbit holes I've ever fallen into. And I'm still not sure I found my way out, but really trying to understand um, the way the textile industry worked. And 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 what I realized it was, you know, whether it was apparel or home textiles across the board, um, incredibly broken. Um, and I thought that, that I might be just crazy enough to try to fix it. 
<laughs> I love that. And and tell us what you know we, in in looking at that and in 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 really being the customer at first and trying to understand yeah. how to how to make this these this purchase, right? What were those pain points that you were identifying? What what were the complexities that you were finding? How how in other words, how was the experience broken? Yeah, it's you know, I think what separates great businesses from not so great ones is is whether they understand one simple thing and and businesses are run and 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 fed by people um and and at every step of the way um whether it's creating a product or a service um delivering that to a customer um, relying on a customer to give you money um all of those things are about interactions between people and to me what was unbelievably glaringly broken about the textile industry is the fact that at every step of the chain, people had been marginalized. So whether it was the people growing the cotton, um, which were sort of just sort of not thought about within the industry, um, factory workers that were borderline slave labor, um, brands that were marketing things that didn't mean anything to a consumer uh, in reality, but but telling the consumer, oh, this means so much and, and marginalizing them, providing really crummy products at, at pretty high price points in the marketplace, um, simply preying on the fact that consumers weren't educated. Um, that was the practice that I found, again, whether it was fashion or home textiles or anything like that. And it was pretty consistent across the board. Um, so, you know, when you have an industry that's that's operating, putting the least amount of value on people, and you simply flip that equation upside down and said, well, you know, we realize as a business, no business can be successful if it's not for the people. So we're going to celebrate that, whether it's a customer, a maker, um, an employee, and, and everything in between. Um, that became something that that, you know, again was was crazy enough to to wind up being extremely disruptive and 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 we're we feel are very fortunate four years later um to to be where we are amazing i i think that's you know so the early concept was really around creating uh these hu- the, 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 or bringing the human component or caring about the human component at every stage in the value chain right yeah i mean not that you're the one being interviewed but why do you why do you work Ultimately, at the end of the day, why do you work? It's you know, uh, it's a rhetorical question, but but the reality is is that you want very simple things out of life. You want to be able to to take care of yourself. You want to put food on your table. You 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 know, there are very few people out there that are able to work with without satisfying the basic human needs. Um, there's not a whole lot different between you and a cotton farmer um, living in a rural tribal village in southeastern India. The difference is is that you've benefited from a public education. So you understand sort of the world around you. Um, you have the opportunity to choose what you do. Life didn't sort of choose it for you. Um, but at the end of the day, you want the same things out of life that they do. Um, they want to care for their families. They want to care for the people around them. And and when you, you, you know, I didn't look at the textile industry and say, I want to fix the people issue. I ultimately just wanted to make it really much easier to buy a quality product. Um, but then when it came to defining what a quality product was, I couldn't fix a consumer issue that, again, was about you know providing people value for their hard-earned money and ignore the fact that there were a lot of people throughout the supply chain that were, were doing worse than just hurting, right? It's not just hurting. They were destitute. They're living far below the poverty line. They're completely marginalized. And they didn't have the power to do anything about it themselves. And And I felt 
a bit of a calling that that you know what if we what if we just try to do make the right decision at every step of the way what if we try to build our own supply chain and 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 figure out how we can suck some of the bloat out of it and and be able to create a product in the market that meets the customer needs treats the customer with respect by giving them the value that they're paying for but also is powered by this this virtuous cycle um, that ultimately means that that I as a business person am spending more time thinking about how do I sell more sheets because I can get this whole system of good moving again versus how do I sell more sheets so that I can you know deliver simply a return on my investor investment and not that there's anything wrong with that um, but it, it it's much more motivating and I think at the end of the day the consumers understand that they become a part of that virtuous cycle. And did you draw inspiration from somewhere when it came to sort of thinking about it in this way and, and trying to identify those different points of the value chain and infusing them with that human element uh, and caring about each of those specific steps? Was that something that kind of just happened organically as you were going through the creation of your business or did you did you draw inspiration from somewhere? You know, there I, I can't even tell you how many how many people and businesses have inspired me um, at, at various different, different, you know, aspects, right? It's hard to not look at a brand like Patagonia that has such a clear perspective and is so true to their vision. Um, so once we were able to um, really crystallize our, our vision of what we wanted to do, and again, our goal was not to create the largest direct-to-consumer betting brand in the world. That just sort of happened. Um, our goal was to to create the supply chain and then allow it to multiply itself. Um, so, you know, whether it's a brand like Patagonia, a brand like Tom's that has giving back as part of its DNA. I mean, there were lots of brands that inspired me, but but the real inspiration and, and the God's honest truth is that I left my last company to care for my mom, who was uh, in her, you know, final several months battling pancreatic cancer. And if there's one lesson my mom taught me, um, and she used to always say, you follow the golden rule, simply treat other people how you'd like to be treated. And that that's what ultimately inspired Missy and I to build the type of business that we we built. We we have three daughters and they're gonna they're gonna have an opportunity to see their parents doing something and, and faced with with choices every single day. If we simply make the choice that we would be proud to explain that choice to them, um, and in, at least in our family, ignoring a choice, ignoring, you know, something is just not an option. It's not our values. Um I mean that's that's the inspiration, right? It's it's trying to to just be the kind of father and son and and all those things that I wanted to be, um, because you don't expect that you're creating a fifty hundred million dollar business. You're you're thinking about a product that honestly, like Missy talks about all the time. She really only thought about making sure that she was proud to to give our sheets to her own mother at the end of the day, because that was pretty much the only person we were pretty darn sure was going to buy. Everybody else, we were like, eh, maybe. <laughs> Incredible. Huh? So, I, I mean, I, I I agree with you. I think that it's a really interesting virtual, virtuous cycle that you created there. And thinking about as sort of thinking about the the profits or the financial gains really as an applause for a job well done on all the other fronts, right? More so than the end and end itself. You know, it's validation. It's like, holy cow, people. Re- it's like it, people really do value it. And, and it's something that, um, look, I love when people say to me, oh my gosh, I've never felt sheets this soft. I mean, I, I love when anybody compliments me about any aspect of the business. But when someone 
says that they're like, gosh, I really never understood this or that. And, and I'm so glad that you introduced me to it. It, it, it just might make them think about purchasing pants differently, right? It might make them think about consuming food differently. Um, it might, you know, that, that's the power of, of, of entrepreneur, entrepreneurship or entrepreneurialism, whatever you want to call it. Like, we're all just trying to define the type of world we'd like to live in and then building our tiny little piece um, and seeing if somebody else agrees with us. And and that's the validation. So, yeah, I mean, revenue numbers are great and important. And if I wasn't hitting them, I wouldn't be here. Um, there's no doubt about it. And I certainly want the business to be financially successful. Um, there, you know, we spend time thinking about margins. We spend time thinking about all the things you should as a business. Um, that's not necessarily why we're here. That's not, that's not ultimately what motivates us, but it's a required measuring stick because now I have, you know, hundreds of employees, at, you know, wh- whether it's at our factories or here in our headquarters, they're relying on me as a leader to also make sure that, that we build financial sustainability. Um, I'll give you a great, a great example between farmers and their families. We have nearly 80,000 people in India that are now fully reliant on Boland branch to provide their entire living. We buy all their cotton. We're now the largest consumer of fair trade organic cotton in the world. Um, The worst thing I can do is create a business that's not sustainable because for the first time in many of these people's lives, they're living above the poverty, poverty line. But with that comes tremendous responsibility. I have to make sure that Bowen Branch continues to stay as help, healthy as possible because I need to place the next order. And then the following year, I got to place another and another and another. I don't want them to move backwards in their lives. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, inc- it's incredible how that it, it sort of perpetuates that way. Um, and, and I was thinking just as you were talking about this education component and teaching the customer something that they didn't know. Right. And when I was on your site, I, I it certainly made me think about how I purchase fabrics, be it for my clothing or my sheets or things like that. When I was reading about pesticides and, and your practices, and I found it extremely interesting. And I think it's a great transition into how, uh, you know, we've been talking about these different po- points in the value chain. Let's talk a little specifically about the customer experience right now. So how, how do you define customer experience for Bowen Branch? I mean, for us, customer experience begins at the first moment we touch the consumer. Um, that might come from a, a, a referral by their friend. That might come, you know, through an advertisement or or, or just happening upon our website. Um, and and we are just to be really clear. Bowling Branch is in the customer service business. That's the business we're in. We're, we're Yes, we sell sheets. Yes, we have this incredible supply chain. But we're in the business of servicing our customers and meeting their needs. And and our objective as a company is to make sure that, that customers receive that level of service and experience at every touch point, whether it's when they they place their first order, it's it's when it arrives at their house. It's making sure that even our shipping carriers and our packing standards are followed specifically. Unboxing a Bull and Branch product is a really special experience, and it should be. It's a special product, right? Um, and and we want to make sure that we surpass expectations um, in the in the times when when there's a problem and it's something that we did wrong. We we will move heaven and earth to to make it right with that customer because you know when you're a direct to consumer business you don't have you know a wholesaler that's writing a purchase order for you know thousands of units no matter how many millions of dollars in sales you're still selling one 
transaction and one customer at a time. And and we think about that a lot as a company. Yeah, it reminds me of the 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 Zappos model in a lot of ways where they they see every interaction, they see themselves as being in the customer service business as you just described. And and every interaction is an opportunity to engage that customer and uh, make him an evangelist, make him an advocate for the brand. Yeah, I mean, my everybody laughs because my favorite thing to do, um, I love, I, and I do it, you know, all the time. Um, I love to just sit in the call center and or with my customer service team, and I take calls every Sunday night, and I've done this since the day we've started. I read every single email that we've received the prior week, every single one. Um, and I go through it. It helps me understand. That's been my favorite part about the retail business is that, you know, it's only a couple miles from our office, which is it makes it super convenient. But um, being able to be there face to face with our customers, understand what can we do better? How, how can we, we you know, um, how can we improve? And and I, I think that that if you think about customer service, right, the, the worst thing in the world is the customer where something's just it's not bad enough. So they don't feel like they want to call, right? They, yeah. they, they don't give you an opportunity to fix it. When when somebody calls you, no matter how upset they are, you have a golden opportunity to turn that situation around. And if the turnaround is simply to give them back their money, apologize for the inconvenience, and th- then then that's what you do. Because ultimately, as a business, you just have a reputation, and you have to you have to respect the fact that people work really hard. For their money, and if they're so, if you are so fortunate that they choose to give you some of their money in exchange for your product or service, um, you have to really value that, and you have to realize that that while you can't satisfy everybody, you certainly can. Um, you can meet their expectations. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's so funny that you mentioned that because I think that you know, it, it, there is this there there's a, there's certainly a focus on issue resolution when people are calling into a contact center but there's also there should also be a focus on encouraging them to connect in the first place because imagine how many touch points you're missing with people that are not like you say they're sort of on the fence they decide not to reach out and that could be really really valuable insight into uh how to make your products better you know and so you want to encourage those touch points as much as possible is there are there examples of of takeaways Let's say I, I, I think it's it's admirable that you sit in the contact center and take calls. I think that that's an incredible opportunity to connect with a customer. Are there specific takeaways that you can tell us about that you've gotten from that experience? Um, well, one was was this was somebody on on my team that provided such great service that um, the customer actually makes her own brand of buffalo wing sauce and just sent us a case to the office i've had customers make (laughs) us cookies um i have i mean you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it um and and so but in terms of i i i can use um uh, this is a great example actually of a of a story um we were probably we were in our first holiday season so we're just under a year old and um somebody called in on on it was uh it was the day before Thanksgiving, um, so so that Wednesday before Thanksgiving, they called in and said, "Hey, I ordered. I haven't gotten a tracking number. I don't know where it is. I'm hoping I have it by this weekend or by Friday or whatever it was for a gift." Um, I found out where they lived. Turned out they lived in New York City. They weren't far. 
I happened to have some product in the office. I packed it up, put it in a box, dropped it in an Uber, got it to their house w- within an hour or so. And again, I just did that because this is a customer and, and we wanted to do what we needed to, to take care of them. Um, the next Monday, I get a phone call um, and the individual said he, he just kind of couldn't stop thinking about it because he had never received service like that from anyone um, and loved the product. and said, I know you're not asking for investment, but I want to write you a check right now. And he ended <laughs> up investing in the company. No, no joke. way. No joke. Was our first investor. That was your first investor? Yeah. That's unbelievable. It was the easiest, easiest fundraise I've ever done. Just cost me like a $60 <laughs> Uber. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that story. Uh, and, and and how about from the from the product development side? Were there were there was were there interesting points of feedback in the early days, or even now that you find through your conversations with the customers? Totally. Um, keep in mind, I mean, my background is you know at least before this, I was in the video game industry, and if anybody plays video games, you know that that what you launch with um, and what you end up having as your your kind of product after a number of updates and consistent updates, it can be a very different thing, right? Think about Facebook when we all first started using Facebook and look at what it is now. So we take a very, very similar to software development approach to our products. Our products are constantly updating. Um, It might be that, hey, I'm buying, you know, one of these foam bed in a boxes, they're, they're cut more square. Um, You know, in early days, I didn't like people said, oh, they they didn't like how the, the corners poked up at the end we can actually you know we started addressing that and we started tailoring our sheets a little bit differently so they can fit a really deep mattress as well as a really thin one without having to stock two different items um but we are we're consistently getting and and we welcome it and we encourage it from our customers we're getting feedback all the time um and there's nothing better than um there's there's a woman i won't use her name but um she has egged us forever she's like i love your products i love your products i wish you made a pale pink i wish you made a pale pink um well we finally launched it in the beginning of january it's just sort of a limited edition item and i sent it to her and she wrote me this long handwritten letter back she and i didn't realize that she had first started nagging us about this about three months after we launched in 2014 and we finally did it now so maybe we weren't that quick but um but and it's turned into a phenomenal seller for us, and really, you know, it was because of people like her. We, we probably wouldn't have been on our on our pipeline. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's such a it's such an important part of, especially in a direct to consumer model. It's so important to give the you know listen to the voice of the customer, right? Because that is you know it it, it informs and it gives us such visibility into how people are reacting and then you can take those things and make them great as you did with with this example. Totally. And it also, you know, think about the advocacy, think about how many people she probably told about this company, especially in a category like betting, like most people aren't going around and, and, you know, telling the person behind them in the line at the grocery store, Hey, you know, let me tell you about my betting. Like most people would be like, all right, that's a little weird. Um, but, but now she has gone from being a customer and a very good customer. She's she's a stakeholder. She, I want her to feel like a stakeholder. I want everybody, you know, I want our brand to feel like the way when, when I worked on Oreo, we felt like Oreo was a public trust. We had a brand that was like, it's like a pro football team or something where people are so deeply invested in it. it it's, it, it, it's, it becomes a part of their lives. Um, at four years old, it's, it's hard to be there as a brand, but that, that, Again, that gets built 
one customer at a time, one by one. Um, in turn, and and it's it's by doing small things as simply as number one, asking for their opinion, and B, when they give it to you, actually doing something with it. Because there's nothing worse than like filling out a survey and like you just get this feeling that, yeah, I'm shouting in the forest. Nobody's nobody's looking. Nobody cares. Um, at least with Bull and Branch, we do really care, and and it's something that. Uh, you know, if Missy was on this call, she would tell you that that the feedback she gets from her customers, it, it's it's made her job at, at building out our pipeline so much easier. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So would you say that the, the I mean, you know, you were going back to the the point that you made earlier about we have we're in the customer service business, right? What yeah. would be the guiding principle for the customer service that you want to provide? Is it that ethos of listening and reacting or listening and and making changes based on your customers, giving them a voice, doing the small things that matter? What's do you can you identify sort of a guiding principle to the customer service experience that you're looking to create? Yeah, it's the same thing as every other part of our business. It's just treat people like you'd like to be treated. Simple as that. The golden rule. It's the, it is as simple as that. It's the goal. I mean, I think it's the key to success in every part of your life. Um, you know, I mean, one of my rules in hiring is my primary objective is not to hire any jerks. Um, you know, and, and because at the end of the day, I know they can't live our, our vision of how we treat people. Um, and, and, and it's as simple as that with, uh, when, when people start in customer experience with, with us and, and we sit down um, and it, it, they're like, well, what, you know, do you have any scripts? Yeah, no, we don't have scripts. We don't, we don't do that. You, you listen first and you do for them exactly what you would want someone to do for you on the other end. You don't do what you think the company wants you to do. You don't do what you think the best financial decision or whatever is. You do exactly what you would expect someone to do for yourself. And if someone's being unreasonable and you explain that you feel that they're being unreasonable and they don't back down, well, you know what? Then you might have to do a little more than you would have otherwise done. Um, but I will be honest with you. we When someone call, calls us and they're upset about something and we start the conversation by saying, we understand, we're sorry, I'd love to hear the extent of the full problem, and I promise you we're going to take complete care of this. There have not been a lot of customers that leave that experience feeling disappointed, feeling let down, feeling bad about the business and the brand. Um, and at the end of the day, that's that's all we can hope for. And 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 you just kind of you listen, you treat them with respect, no matter how disrespectful they may end up being uh, at some point or another. And and actually, it's few and far between when when it comes to customers that end up being disrespectful. It really is. Yeah, it's showing that empathy, right? And and I think totally. it, do you and so and so Scott, do you empower how do you empower um the service agents that you're talking about yeah. to 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 use this golden rule? Do you give them some sort of degree of autonomy when they're when they're cuz you're not always with them, right? So how do you no. empower them to to provide that or to follow that guiding principle of the golden rule uh, and to have the autonomy to do that? Well, they'll understand that when they're interviewing for the position, um, mm -hmm. that if they're looking for a typical call center customer experience role where you're going to have a script and you're going to have a lot of systems and rules of do this and don't. And if somebody says this, then you do this and then you do that. That's not this. We, we First of all, we, we, we ask our customer service agents to think 
with their heart and think with their brain and then think with their heart again. And, and we have been, I, I mean, our customer experience team is unbelievable. Our uh, Lauren, who runs our customer service team is, I probably shouldn't even say her name because someone's going to try to hire her. She's amazing. And <laughs> she's been with us since, you know, we were a year or so old as a business and um, even grown up in her own career with us. But, uh, you know, I know that when Lauren or Rebecca or Jessica or Carlin, when they get on the phone with the customer, the service level being provided is absolutely no different than if I was on the phone or Missy was on the phone. And I, 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 I tell you that absolutely truly. They have full autonomy because how can they, how can I ask them to treat someone as you'd like to be treated as long as it meets this checklist? Like as soon as I dehumanize them and ask them to operate like robots, then they can't empathize with the end user. They can't put themselves in their, their shoes and say, how do I help fix this customer's issue? And, and that, that's just my belief. It's my philosophy. It, it might be the kind of thing that some people would say, oh, that doesn't scale or that doesn't, you know, whatever. Um, but it's, you know, as long as, uh, until they drag me out of here kicking and screaming, um, that is the way that customer experience will work at Bowling Branch. That's that's excellent. And, you know, I have to tell you, it's not a lot of servicing organizations that provide that level of autonomy. So kudos to you, because I, I do believe that it makes a tremendous impact on the customer experience in, in, in allowing the service agents to communicate in that way. It's, it's hugely beneficial to the, to and the look, end. We, we don't even I, I, even within the within our company, I think a lot of companies, they sort of differentiate between a, a customer service agent and a marketing person, or operations person or a product developer or, or whatever it happens to be. That's just not how we that's not what our culture is like either. Um, and I think that there is no group of people within our organization that are more valued than our customer experience agents, because we all understand that that w- one of the things as a business we talk about is every day, how do we get one step closer to the customer? How do we get one step closer to that consumer? And, and, and this group of people, they are on the front lines and they are representing us to tens of thousands of consumers every week. And, and, um, and that's something that that is is really championed and championed by our our, our company and and should be. Um, there, there's nothing more important. And and so going back to this concept of getting one step closer to the customer, I think that that's a, a great segue into what you the the. the 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 fact that you guys have recently opened a physical retail location, right? Yeah. So uh, is that an effort to kind of achieve that same objective of getting even closer to the customer? Absolutely. Um, and 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 touching them in a in a slightly different way, or more importantly, like literally allowing them to touch our products and our our, our company. Um, you know, as a direct to consumer business, that especially one where. You know what I can tell you again. I, our product is superior to anything in the market at any price point. Certainly at price points multiples of ours. So I am very happy to take our product out of our package, go right into a shopping mall where you can buy a hundred dollar bed and bag, you can buy a thousand dollar set of sheets at a high end department store, and say, "Feel our product. Take this pillowcase. Take a swatch. Go walk around the mall and see, see how, see what it's like." See if it's any different. Um, and that's been incredibly, incredibly powerful um, because our product is better um, and it feels better. It wears better. 
And that's that's both an indication of the fact that we make a great product and literally everything else in the market, startup or not, is garbage. Um, you know, it's some varying form of garbage. It it, it makes me angry. Um, but but we and and then when you think about the level of relationship that our team within the store can develop with the shoppers, right? And now it's not just a voice on the end of the phone; it's a face, it's a person with a business card that has a cell phone and gives you their cell phone number. And when you want um, a set, set of pleated sheets, but they happen to be sold out, someone that you know is going to give you a call in a few days and say, hey, they're back. Would you like to place an order? Do you want to come in? I, I can have them come to the store. I can drop them off at your house. Being able to provide that level of, of service on a local basis, and especially with our first store, um, our local community has been such a part of, of, of Bowling Branch growing so quickly because they understand us as people because we live within the community um but but they also you know it, it's it, it's just been fantastic to see how the community has supported this this you know local startup by a husband and wife and and that's now become this kind of like it's kind of crazy sometimes i think about it this big national brand but to build our first store here at home and connect with the same people employ more of the same people that helped us get started um it's it, it's pretty exciting for us congratulations i think that's a it's a huge step forward and uh i i i agree with you i think that it it really does provide an incredible access to the, the customer even more so, right? So um, how about how you how do you think about, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on how you think about the online and the offline coming together, right? So what is it that you, what is it, the, what is the customer experience that you want to create in the, in the physical location as it relates to the online? How do they connect? How do you think about those questions? I don't, I don't think about it. And, and let me explain why. If I had a, a traditional offline business, okay, uh, and I have a hundred mall stores around the country. Some point six, seven, eight, ten years ago, I created my online business, and what it was was the same products, but totally separate systems, totally separate everything, um, so that I could reach more people. And now I'm in a situation where everybody in the world is saying retail is dying. Um, my revenues at retail stores are down, down, down. My online business is still doing okay. Um, but I'm in this horribly strained kind of economic system where, where I can't get everything working together. And, and when I can, I still have this really laggard brick and mortar retail business. Um, I look at brick and mortar as absolutely a part of our online business and our online business is a part of our business. This is just our business. We sell sheets. We sell sheets, bedding, towels, and all of those things, and we will sell them to you wherever you need to be. If it's on your phone, um, if it's at your computer, or it's in a store, or it's in a pop-up within a department store, you name it, that, that's where we need to be as a business. But it's still one business. It's still one supply chain. It's still one, um, you know, one, one logistics and, and, and system, um, you know, and, and so I don't think about these things separately. I think about... I think about a mall store as, as, as an engagement point with customers and, and saying, well, you know, if I can set up shop there and I have 400 people a day walking by, um, does that mathematically make sense as an ad? Um, can it be more effective than a regular ad? And, and you look at those sort of, those sort of things, because again, I have to be financially responsible. Um, and I find that when, when you look at it as, as one holistic business, 
it's a lot easier to make brick and mortar retail make money and make sense. Um, it, it's you know we don't carry product that you walk out of the store with at our at our store. Um, so again, economically. It makes a lot of sense. Now I can ship that to the person. You order it by three o'clock. It's on your doorstep the next morning. Um, but it's just a slightly different model. Right. So talk talk to us a little bit about how you see the future for Bull and Branch. You know, right now you just opened that first retail location. You're do you guys are doing great. Uh, what, what is what does it look like in the next five four years? You know, been in business for four years. What do the next four years look like? What do you want to see? What are your objectives? Well, four years ago, I had no idea where we'd be right now. So <laughs> what I can tell you we're going to do over our next four years, um, you can take with it as a grain of salt. Um, uh, you know, when we think about our business, we, we've certainly grown. But relative to the overall market, we're still a tiny, tiny player. Um, we we still know that uh, the vast majority of people in this country don't know Bull and Branch. Um, and, and we believe we have a, a story to tell. We have a belief system that, that they need to know about. Um, so, so you're going to see us continue to be really focused on spreading our word, spreading our story, raising awareness of both our brands and the way we do things um, to people from, from coast to coast. I think that, you know, what's different, what's been different about the way we've gone about things versus even a lot of startups has been, we didn't just sort of focus on coastal millennials. Um, we've been, very focused on on building our brand um, in great cities across the country, from you know Nashville to St. Louis to uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and everything in between. And and when you look at our our consumers on a map, it, it's you know we're, we're trying to create a great American brand, and and you don't do that just on the coast. So um, we have a lot of opportunity still everywhere, um, but uh, but you'll see us just continuing to. To, to really spread spread the word and 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 I hope that by raising awareness um, from consumers whether they buy a bull and branch product or not that they at least continue to become as thoughtful about their textile purchases as they already have been about food and things like that yeah I think that that it could definitely some of that awareness I really hope that it kind of trickles through to to just purchases in general so and and you know I, I was thinking about what you were talking about before and in in terms of you didn't expect what would, you know, four years ago, you could have never imagined where you would be today, right? So I think I, well, the last question that I want to ask you today is, if you could give yourself advice four years ago, right? If you could look back and say, you know, Scott, I want to tell you something X, right? What would that be? What advice would you give yourself four years ago in hindsight now? I would have ordered more product. <laughs> because <laughs> I had a six month waiting list about three months in. Um, but no, I mean, in, in, in seriousness, I, I think that um, one of the things I would, I would, I would, uh, I wouldn't even say I've done differently, but I would have, have thought a little bit more about was um, understanding just how important it is for customer needs to be met even when you can't sell them a product. And and we had, for the first two years we were in business, we were consistently plagued by out-of-stocks. Um, and scarcity is cute, but only for so long. Um, and, and I know that that we would have grown a lot faster and a lot bigger um, 
in a shorter amount of time had we been able to meet that need. Um, but by the f- same token, what I am more proud of than anything else is the fact that when faced with you know small suppliers in in parts of the developing world, we didn't abandon our system of beliefs to simply go and go call a giant factory, you know, and everybody knows the names of the big textile mills and, you know, that every other department store and everybody else is private labeling from. I didn't call them and say, I have all this demand and I just need you to make my product. We go through an incredibly arduous task. We've spent the last two years building out our supply chain. We're up to about 13 factories around the world. They all meet, if not the highest, some of the very highest standards for uh, ethics, labor conditions, treatment of employees um, around the world. And so we never lost sight of our vision of, of how we believe a textile company should work, our standards, um, and, and, and never had to change our steadfast belief in our standards as far as communicating that to our customer. And, and that's what we said. I know you want those sheets. I know you need them. You know, they're going to be in stock within three months, but listen, this is why it's going to take us time. I can't shortcut this. I won't shortcut this. And you wouldn't want me to. And I think that, or at least I hope that that at the end of the day, now that those kind of product supply issues are, are behind us, um, that customers at least respect the choices that we made. Yeah, and I, you know, to be honest, I think that the maybe those supply issues were a blessing in disguise because it takes time to get things right. You were doing something very unique for your industry, right? So at the end of the day, maybe in some ways it was actually uh, allowed you to have more time to figure out all those moving pieces. That's a really good point. Really good point. So... Uh, but anyway, Scott, I really want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I, I think that your story is commendable and fascinating. And I really, you know, I, I really look forward to watching Bull and Branch grow and, and continuing to uphold these standards. And I will most certainly be ordering my own set of sheets very soon, <laughs> probably <laughs> awesome. right after this recording. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was our pleasure. I look forward to to, to uh, connecting again real soon. And to all of you out there listening, keep making moves. You've been listening to The CX Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. For more information on how SailMove enables the world's top companies to deliver the in-person customer experience online, please visit SailMove.com.